Section two of the Daredevil of the Army Experiences as a Buzzer and Dispatch Rider by Austin Patrick Kerkorin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter one The author starts for Berlin on a motorcycle and finds himself presently on the Marne. Part two. Ten thirty the guns are booming with ever nearer menace utterly preventing our attempt at sleep we are hourly expecting the order to move hudson who is back after what seemed undue delay reports a tough fight going on in landrecy we are holding a narrow street with a few machine guns on which the germans continue to advance with their usual unlimited supply of gun meat it will be dead meat piled high before morning if we can only manage to hold out but where's harrison no sign of him yet either in landrecy or on the road home and poole poole had delivered his dispatch so much hudson had learned on his arrival but of lawrence no sign had been seen we are discussing the probabilities of capture or collapse with a callousness that would have seemed brutal two weeks ago but which we have acquired with apparent ease of late when there suddenly looms up out of the darkness of the road a motorbike carrying a strange object behind soon a voice proclaims the rider as poole but what is the uncouth burden he is bearing flesh or fish dead or alive it answers both questions by jumping to the earth when the bike comes to a jarring halt it is the subaltern who has come out to take the air for a moment who announces its identity by an ironical question been shrimping lawrence he asks politely only then do we recognize our chum a shapeless mass of slimy mud which clings to his clothes his hands his hair his face he looks for all the world like some prehistoric animal that has just risen from its oozy lair rotten duck pond he spits and shakes himself as he tries to talk been floundering about in it for hours dived into it head first trying to take a nasty corner at full speed the damn bike drove me down deeper it came right on top of me must be a couple of miles of the stuff down under the water he was the first of us to get really intimate with the squelchy qualities of northern french soil even when i got my head above water i couldn't get my feet the more i tried the more entangled they seemed to become might as well have tried to walk with leaden shoes on how long it would have taken him to extricate himself alone is a question i leave to the imagination it was poole who finally rescued him after he had been struggling for what seemed hours even then it took strategy on the part of the two as 
indeed it had taken foresight on poole's part he had delayed for some time in landrecy waiting for lawrence to turn up they had taken different routes on setting out on the off chance that an accident had happened poole had changed his road on the way home hence the rescue and now as lawrence retires to the farm pump we notice that his saviour looks rather white-faced and nervous anything wrong asks grant oh nothing much had a narrow squeak with Samoans. he seems entirely indisposed to go into detail at the moment so we open him a tin of bully and fetch him some water to help him in recovering his aplomb if we thought thus to elicit the story we were mistaken for even under the inspiration of a full stomach and a lit pipe he refuses to satisfy our curiosity we might never have heard what really happened if a strange chance had not given us an inkling of the story and forced him to confess to being a hero it was about half an hour later that a troop of our cavalry could be seen galloping over the hill as they approached we could see they were escorting some ullens whom they had hemmed in from all sides passing the signal office the sergeant caught sight of our subaltern and immediately gave the order to halt then riding over he saluted and explained that he had found the huns prowling along the road leading from the southeast to landrecy now he would hand them over to the officer's charge they dismounted preparatory to being led off to an inner room for the customary formality of being questioned as they did so one of them caught sight of poole and nudging the other he was heard to say in quite audible tones there he is but poole very busy for the moment with his carburettor either did not hear or made a fine pretence of not doing so five minutes later however the sergeant's head appeared in the doorway calling for the reticent hero he departed to return with a half happy half sheepish grin what's the matter nothing some rot these huns are talking but our curiosity was not to be stilled with such an excuse by dint of probing both him and the more eloquent sergeant we got the whole story by degrees here it is it is one of our reasons for being proud of poole he had reached a crossroads on his way from landrecy shoot to the right that was the turn for home his bike took the curve at a dangerous angle and as he once more swept into the level he raised his head to scan the new road lawrence was the object he was looking for but what he saw at a distance of not more than a hundred yards were six ullens seated on their fine mounts 
there was no time to turn the speed of his bike decided that and there was little time to think not more indeed than a few seconds would he surrender that might ensure his life but the idea of a german prison did not entice him in quick succession these thoughts shot through his mind each second making a decision more difficult as it brought him nearer his enemy he was making about sixty miles an hour i'll chance rushing them he decided finally and banging open the throttle of his machine he sent his speed up another five miles forty yards from them he could see them fingering their carbines thirty-five yards he could see one of them probably a sergeant shouting an order to the others thirty yards they were stretching in a line across the road letting go one hand he drew his revolver twenty-five yards he could see the two centre ullens taking steady aim at his head with a sudden jerk he drew himself erect in his saddle and then suddenly let his body fall along the top of his tank at the same time letting go his revolver he heard their bullets whiz by him he had spoiled their aim and he saw one man topple over hit square on the chest and the horse of the second rear and come down with a crash into the two ullens on the left of the road five yards from them he could see they were in hopeless confusion and as he shot through the broken line exultantly pool of hers, it was the greatest thrill of his life he sent two more bullets point-blank at the men on the right and tore past a dark streak on the dusty highway crouched over his handlebars muscles taut nerves quivering he strained his ears for any sounds that might indicate pursuit they came he could hear the pounding of horses hoofs on the hard road galloping like mad he commented to himself but it would take some centaur to catch up with his bike Whizz! another bullet shot past his ear he crouched still lower on his saddle and then the gods were kind there came another crossroads how he thanked heaven for these winding french highways and the hedges that would hide him on either side out of sight he was safe a horse can't rival a motorbike so he came home with a whole but quivering skin of course it was the horses that did the trick he explains amiably the bike and the shooting upset their nerves so they pranced round a bit and spoiled the blighter's aim i'll buy a horse when i go home and pet him to death off again the inexhaustible hun is determined to keep us moving our orders are to fall back in the general direction of saint quentin la Faire. cable wagons dash out to reel in as much as possible of the wire they had laid just a day or two before the operators are busy 
picking up their field buzzers and telephones a merciful and ingenious government has reduced the weight of their pack to about three pounds soon they are all piled into the wagons and we get off a rather miserable train somewhere ahead of us is the brigade commander with his staff somewhere in the rear of us is the retreating infantry all night and the next day we keep on the move whither we don't know but it is somewhere southwest it is scorchingly hot and the roads are thick with dust which stifles our nostrils and thickens our tongues we pass through villages where our coming is the sign for increased panic stupefied women surrounded with wailing children are piling their household goods onto trucks and carts they block our way but their misery hardly moves us at all at times we come to a crowd whose patriotism is greater than their panic they greet us with the marseillaise an urchin or two already knows tipperary they offer us drinks tobacco and food all they ask is news we have none save that our enemy is retreating we give it and the women set up a great la laring damn their infernal racket grant growls at times we are too tired to string our nerves up to the pitch of proper sympathy soon i find myself journeying alone about four in the afternoon we had halted for rest but i was no sooner off my bike then the signal officer came and handed me a message for the guards brigade he had no idea where they were somewhere in france he declared jocosely i imagine they're off to the right as the germans hadn't caught up with us there was no danger of my capture so he didn't think it necessary to send two of us i took the road he indicated and wandered about for what seemed hours finally an army service corps truck loomed up in the distance the guards someone said they were entrenching around etrue he pronounced it x trucks but we found it on the map it was off in another direction luckily however it was on the rue de nationale so i found it without much delay my message was to a brigade major i was unconscious of my general aspect until i met his eye i knew i was dirty unwashed unshaven i'd had no sleep in three days so my lids felt as if weighted with lead my mind had ceased to work so numb was my brain with fatigue only now for the first time was i conscious of my condition but as he handed me my receipts he put a hand on my shoulder i am proud of you fellows he declared in his hearty tone our soldiers are magnificent but then 
this is their business you have no traditions to keep up i flushed with pride under my dust and he patted me on the back when one is fatigued one is foolishly susceptible to flattery pretty fagged eh he inquired next here take a sip of this he took out a glass flask from his pocket i'm afraid sip would not describe my drink as i handed the flask back a humorous smile twisted the corners of his mouth irish eh he glanced at the flask nothing like the drop of the crater to put the heart in a man these nasty times he gave me a slap on the back before i mounted my bike and i went off whistling on my way i was glad i had been chosen for that trip i got back to my starting place only to find they had moved again it was an hour later before i caught up with the rear of the brigade camping in the neighbourhood of venerol where a halt had been called for the night we got a cow-house for a bedroom but straw covered the dirt and we were content with the mere fact that we had some hours to sleep that night stands out in my memory an oasis in the parched desert the oasis fell from heaven rain it came in torrents to welcome it we walked out throwing open our collars and the fronts of our shirts to let it fall on our withered skin what a tonic it was we were invigorated men again our gratitude however faded next morning when we had to set out on our road perhaps you have ridden a motorcycle over slippery surfaces and you know what the slime does to the wheels but try to imagine yourself keeping the bike erect on the slithery tops of cobblestones not those smooth flat stones you find in england or america but those round uneven beautifully curved cobbles standing anywhere from four to six inches out of the earth with which they pave the village streets in france by noon my wrists had swollen to an unbelievable size from the effort of my task i knew now why the foreseeing authorities had chosen strong men for the dispatch corps we were all but exhausted when we reached st quentin our stay in the quaint old town however was destined to be short the germans were coming on pretty fast behind us we could hear the guns thundering out their terrific threat there was nothing to do but keep moving the sun had come out again so we jogged along in our dull damp misery halting now by the roadside to eat such food as we had or pulling up at a stream to bathe our heads in the cool water a trip to a neighbouring town broke the monotony for us riders cable communications were out of the question for the present 
with the huns close on our heels it was up to the dispatch corps now to keep the small body of the british army articulate la fair it is saturday at least so they tell us we have time for a shave and a wash with a fairly decent hot meal as meals go we sleep in houses to-night and come out in a square in the morning to catch a glimpse of the torb overhead it is no more than twenty-five hundred feet up instantly the tommies straggling round start a perfect fusillade with their rifles and succeed in doing more damage to themselves than to the bosch not to be outdone i whip out my revolver and take a pot-shot in woolly west fashion ah don't hurt him sonny says a sarcastic voice at my side in my excitement i had forgotten the limited powers of my webley by noon we are off again a downpour catches us on the road but we plod on rather sick and disgruntled so it goes for the whole week always the same order to keep moving always the same accompaniment to our journey the grim din in the distance always the same question in our minds are we ever to be allowed to face them Corsi le chateau some dozen villages villiers cotteret we tramp through them all i touch soissons and a few more on my side trips in them i pick up such food as i get at an estaminet sleep rest they are precious things these times we get them by snatches at longer and longer intervals and so we approach paris and the marne but that name means nothing to us yet at last it is september but we hardly know the date so confused is our sense of time and so unimportant has it become we receive the order to halt somewhere on our right we learn is the town of Cortacon, held by the fifth corps of the french army somewhere on our left is the british army and the town of coulommiers we the second cavalry brigade wedged between the two are the link that binds the great chain this time our signal station is set up in an open field in one corner by a green hedge squat the telegraph clerks and the telephone operators setting up their instruments as best they may at some distance on the grass is our group of dispatch riders taking a snooze whenever we get a chance it comes rarely there is great demand for our services these days two messages an hour that is our average in two days i cover some six hundred miles in my flying trips from one part of the line to another two messages an hour day and night there is to be no let-up for the present 
we have forgotten that the dark should bring sleep that the morning should bring breakfast and the noon lunch food we have come to regard as a gift straight from the gods it drops on us like the manna from heaven descending on us through the agency of an army service corps truck we eat it when we get it if we have the time france was being saved in those days but how were we to know that my first day was made memorable by a trip to the french lines i had never before met our allied fighters the officer i wanted was absent so a french dispatch rider was deputed to take me to the man i sought the dispatch must be delivered in person a slim little lithe figure on an equally slim bike which he rode german fashion with arms aloft on high handlebars and feet sticking up in the air he skimmed along in front of me a dainty butterfly leading a cart horse uphill i lost sight of him downhill i swept by him i was instructed to keep close behind him but it was altogether too hard a job we passed through a village the name of which i never learned and my eye was held by the sight of a squat resplendent officer shining with a profusion of gold lace i asked his name joffre the man who was then saving france and he was strolling at leisure through the street my second day was made memorable by an incident that held my interest they were making history round me but what was that to me my attention was still occupied with comparative trifles and yet perhaps this man whose story i am going to tell contributed more than he or i knew to the victory on the marne at least it was such as he who made it possible i had delivered a dispatch to another british brigade when i happened to run into hodder he was sitting in the signal station wounded it was a bystander who told me the tale he had been riding hell for leather near a wood when a german sniper caught him on the foot a fine shot when the target was a dispatch rider over keeled hodder and his bike coming to earth with a terrible thud it stunned him for a moment when he recovered his senses he knew there was no chance for him to mount that bike again but he couldn't walk with his foot in that condition still there was the dispatch it must get through at all costs down he went on all fours there were three miles to his goal he crawled into the wood which was plentifully scattered with ullens luckily they were not looking to find a rider among the underbrush it took him hours to get through but he did it his clothes were in ribbons his face all scarred and his foot but 
that is better left to the imagination he delivered his dispatch he got the distinguished conduct medal but that was some time afterwards when the great scrap was all over at the end of the second day we received the order to advance lord how that order stirred our hearts move forward it was the first time since we landed in france we looked eagerly at one another half afraid to surmise the truth had we really driven the blighters back had we actually stemmed the flood that was inundating france with fire and slaughter bit by bit the news filtered to us in confidential whispers the tide had been turned on the marne but it was fully three days before we partakers in the victory knew what our efforts had helped to do paris had been saved now for the rest of france our task had only just begun End of section two.